Thank you. Good morning. Um, I shared with the 8.30 service that um, I'm grateful for the words that, that Jeff said, but he, he does exaggerate a little bit. And um, I have been nervous for the past several days because I know what a powerful pastor preacher he is and who am I to presume to be standing up here in his pulpit to bring a word, especially being the least of them. But one thing that hit me as he was talking when we were on the cabinet together, Jeff and I are kindred in the fact that we're both introverts. And we served on a cabinet with a lot of extroverts. <laughs> and when he left me, because he, he came here to Pastor Wesley Memorial, I was the only one left. And I thought, my fellow introvert is left. And they just swallowed me up and took all my energy. I was so depleted after every meeting. But it was a joy to serve with him. And I am so grateful and blessed and thankful to be here with you this morning. Let us pray. Eternal and almighty God, we give you thanks and praise for being the light in our life. Father, we thank you for the power, the truth of your word. May your word now take root in our heart and that it would grow, that we may become doers of your word, bearing fruit for your kingdom. Father, I pray that your servant decrease, that you shall increase, that your glory shall be seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, living uh, in, in Charlotte, right outside of Huntersville in Charlotte, uh, I don't know about you guys or, or the uh, traffic that's here that I think is much, much better than where I live. Uh, every time I come to High Point, I'm always in awe that nobody's on my bumper or blowing the horn or running me off the road. But we live in one of those places where no matter where you, you can be on 277, on 77, on 485. It's like, I call it the American form of the Audubon. Whenever I'm on 45, the speed limit is 70, but you must do a minimum of 80. If you're going 70, they will knock you off the road. I do 80, and I'm almost knocked off the road. So it's just like at 80, everybody's zooming past me. I know they're going about a 90 and, and 100. But the other thing about Charlotte is there's always construction. No matter where you go, I have a witness up front. No matter where you go, there is always construction. Now, here's what I don't get, though. I, I just, I, this part always amazed me. I can be on 77. Now, 50 miles down, of course, I'm exaggerating, but 50 miles down the road, there will be a sign that says, the road is blocked, move left. Okay, you've seen that. <laughs> Just move left. That's all you have to do. So I like to prepare back here because I never know what's going to be up there. So I just go ahead and make the adjustment. But you have people over here, they're zooming, they're right there. We get closer, let's say we're about 10 miles out now, and they have another sign, move, and you can even see the barrels down the road, move left. Do they listen? No, they're still zooming by. And then you get to the point, you see the light, there's this big arrow that's lit up it's flashing you can't miss it it's larger than day and all the lights are working so you can't say there are no lights working and it tells you to move over but for whatever reason people still don't follow the light until the last minute and then they get mad at you because you don't let them over and they're blowing the horn and they're giving you funny fingers. And I mean, it's just on and on and on. When that's all they had to do was notice the signs, notice the light. It was telling them where to go. But did they obey? No. 
Well, I think about that as I think about what we're talking about today. And if you remember during the wilderness time when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they had the, the fire by night and the cloud by day and that light that was leading them through that time of the wilderness and they were obedient at time to follow. They did grumble some, but they were obedient to follow the light. And then we get to the New Testament. And I love this passage. There's a passage in the Gospel of John where they're having the festival of booths, the, the Feast of Tabernacle. And during that time, they would have the water ceremony and the light ceremony. And the lights would be in the court of women, but they were so bright that it was said to have just magnified the entire city. And so just picture this with me for a moment. Picture all of these lights lighting up everything. And then Jesus says these words. I am the light of the world. You know, I always try to put myself in that passage for the moment and, and just try to imagine what that's like and try to imagine the faces of the Pharisees once Jesus say this and how they start complaining and saying, there he goes again, equating himself on the same level with God. But we can't just be too quick to jump over those words when Jesus said, I am the light of of the world. Now I want you to keep that in mind as I read our passage of scripture this morning. And it's going to come from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, a very familiar passage. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, I will begin at verse 13. This is the beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So did you hear what Jesus just told those who gathered? The, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus doing a teaching of, of teaching people how we are to live in the kingdom of God because he, he just begun preaching about repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So if Jesus in one place said, I am the light of the world, and then right here in this passage, he said, you are the light of the world. What does that even mean? What does it mean when, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? And then, number two, how is it that we are the light of the world? And then on top of that, how am I to live as being the light of the world. So let's talk about that for a moment. There's another passage of scripture that I want to read to you, and it's from the letter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, 
and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. So I asked the question, what does it mean when Jesus said, I am the light? What did, what did John mean here when he said that God is the light? When we say God is light, what we're saying there is that God exposes the darkness. And not only does God expose the darkness, but God also brings truth. When God looked at this world, he looked at a world that was living in rebellion to him. He didn't look at a world that had everything right. He didn't look at a world that was living and worshiping him and doing everything that we were supposed to be doing. God looked at a world that was living in contradiction to him, that was in rebellion to him. But he didn't turn his back on that world. He looked at the world and loved the world and sent his son Jesus to be the light, to expose. What did he expose? He exposed darkness. He exposed the sin. He exposed the rebellion. Not to point fingers, but guess what? To cleanse, to cleanse us. So that's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. He came to expose and to bring truth. So what does that mean for us? How do we go back to the Gospel of Matthew and we hear the words that Jesus said when he said that you are the light? How did we become light? I love the the first part of um, that portion of chapter 5, and it's, it's the very familiar part. It's the part that people often think that's the Sermon on the Mount, and then they end there when they get into the blessed portion. But actually, the Sermon on the Mount goes from chapter 5, chapter 6, and ending in chapter 7. So this, that part of the blessedness, I want us to think about that up for a moment. Because of the fact of who we are in Christ, that's how we're able to be the light, That's what it means to be blessed. Often in our culture today, what do you think about when you think about being blessed? Some of the things we think about is, I I hear people say, oh, I got that promotion on the job, therefore I'm blessed. Or or you're at Walmart and that park that's that's up close, it opens up and and you're able to pull in and you say, I'm blessed. You may have cut somebody else off to get in there, but guess what? You're in there and you're like, I'm blessed. I got to park up front. But think about it. So then does that mean the person that didn't get the promotion is not blessed? Or the person that you cut off to get the parking space, they're not blessed? We're looking at blessed not from the biblical perspective. When Jesus said blessed, I want you to hear what he calls blessed compared to what we think blessed is. But then listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are happy. No, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are strong and powerful. No, gentle. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are, this is the one that gets me. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted 
Nobody wants to be persecuted, but Jesus said, blessed are they. Blessed are those who have been persecuted, who are insulted, who, where false things are said against them. How can that be blessed? Because when it talks about being blessed, it talks about where we are positionally, where we are in Christ. And, and here's why it's blessed. It's blessed because the poor in spirit, guess what? They're the ones who realize that outside of Christ, I'm like filthy rags. I'm sinful. I live in godlessness. And I mourn over that. I mourn for that part of who I am. I call it my Isaiah moment. When Isaiah was in the temple on the Lord's day and when he came before such a holy presence, he cried out, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That's the poor in spirit. And the reason why that person is blessed, because we realize before Jesus Christ, this is who we are. We mourn over that. We hunger. We thirst for the righteousness that only Jesus Christ can give. And it drives us to his feet. That's why he said, blessed are you. The merciful the peacemakers, even when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, positionally in Christ, we are blessed. And what he did, when you think about the, the light in the Old Testament that was leading the Israelites, that light was pointing the way for something greater to come. That's why Jesus was able to say, I am the light of the world. It was pointing the way for him who came. And his work on the cross, I call it the great exchange, what he did, the sinless one took on our sin. And here's what he did. He took on our sin, the great exchange, he extended his righteousness to us. And that's why he's able to say in verse 13 and 14, you are. He didn't say you are becoming or you do. He said you are light. We are that vessel of hope in the world where the light of Christ works in and through us. So what does that look like when we live it out in the world today? It looks like demonstrating the character and nature of who God is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that he rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the light. And as we are people of light, we go into this world that is living in darkness and we give a reason for our hope. We not only come alongside and work in mission, but we also teach preach and live the gospel truth and that is who Jesus is I have a good friend who he's a pastor in Nigeria 
and he lives in, in the part where it's heavily populated with the Muslim community, and they are constantly fighting the Christians, and there are times that they would go in and burn their villages, and they're having to, my friend, his name is Absalom Nuhu, they're having to go in to rescue those whose villages have been burned and try to get them to safety, but here's the most beautiful thing of all when I talk to Absalom, Christianity is one of the fastest growing religions, and I said, Absalom, how is it so fast growing and, and when you guys are being persecuted like you are? And do you know what his words back to me were? He said, they are running to us asking to hear about Jesus. And the reason why? Because when they come in to attack the Christian villages, they don't respond with attack. They respond with the gospel. They respond with loving them. And they can't understand how these people that they're going into attack are responding back with love. And so they said, we don't get it. We want to know about this God that you serve. That's what being the light is all about. It's showing the love of Christ. And it's not just showing, but it's also sharing the gospel. I have another um, good friend, and he, um, I had to preach his funeral Friday. He tragically was killed. This is somebody who would do anything for you. I became close friends with him and his family many years ago when I was pastoring Wing at United Methodist Church. And uh, just a beautiful family, uh, down-to-earth people, and, and the most unlikely friendship. Uh, because the, the Hinton family, when you drive up into their home and they have all these pickup, Chevrolet pickup trucks lined up, and on every truck you see a Confederate flag waving. Uh, so, so it's like the most unlikeliest friendship. But when I first got to this church, this was the very first family that invited me into their home for dinner, brought the pastor in, and instant connection. We were friends ever since. Even after I've been gone many, many years, we always kept in contact. We talked constantly. I could call Arthur. He was right there doing anything for me. But that's just who he was. He would do anything for anyone. And it just so happened last Friday, he was helping his neighbor cut down a tree. And the tree fell back on him, and he couldn't move in time. And he was killed. And I got the call that night, and his wife... She said, Angela, he didn't want anyone else to do his funeral but you. Arthur always let his light shine. Always. And his wife, Denise, she said, you know, if he was going to go like that, I knew it was going to be him helping someone. He was always sharing the gospel with people, not only by the way he lived, but even in the words that he spoke. That's what it is to be light. Jesus said, you are light. He said, don't hide that light. Let it shine boldly. Because we live in a world that needs to see the hope and hear about why we have the hope. We need to share that light. We need to share Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.